BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Music, dance, theater. It's time to take a seat on the aisle with Tom Alvarez. Hear from performers, producers, presenters, and creators who enrich our lives in the performing arts. Who's on stage? Here is Tom Alvarez to introduce you. Welcome to the inaugural episode of my podcast, which focuses on the performing arts, as well as the artists, producers, presenters, designers, and all those who create it. I'm Tom Alvarez. At the risk of sounding like the movie character Forrest Gump, I would like to qualify myself as one who brings a unique perspective to covering music, dance, and theater. For 45 years, at various times, I've worked as a theater, television, and film producer and director, arts writer, critic, actor, model, documentarian, record producer, TV personality, co-creator of an original musical, and arts administrator. Growing up as a middle child in a family of nine siblings, I never felt I was heard over the din of overachieving older sibs who overshadowed me. Later, I discovered while in therapy that the reason I was drawn to theater, television, and all the arts was because I yearned to be a voice and that my desire to communicate with others had been the through line of my very career. A late bloomer, I did not discover the arts until college, and ever since then I've made up for lost time. This podcast is another extension of my passion for the performing arts and art in general, and my desire to spotlight those who represent it through my unique lens of being a Latino and a gay man. Moving forward, I invite you to become a regular listener of my conversations with guests representing the local and national performing arts scene. I pledge to bring you shows that are informative, thought-provoking, inspiring, and most importantly, entertaining. My guests on today's show are singer, actor, dancer, writer, Alan Cumming, best known for Cabaret and The Good Wife and Ari Shapiro, radio journalist, singer for his gigs with Pink Martini, and NPR's All Things Considered. Join me now as we go on the aisle. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. 
Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. I welcome you both. Uh, I wanted to let you know that this is the premiere of my podcast. You were my very first guest, and it was just timely because your publicist reached out to me. I thought, this is great. So uh, thank you for giving me the honor of being my very first guest ever. We're thrilled to be here. Okay, great. So um, where, are you both, where are you both presently? Where are you calling from? I'm in New York City. Yeah. And I'm in Washington, D.C. Okay. So uh, I saw your show here in Indy uh, in April of t- uh, 2022. And, uh, and I know what the show is about, but I, you know, I, I want to ask you later on about have you updated? But first of all, for those who, who aren't aware of it, tell me what Akanoi means. Och is, well, they both kind of mean this. Och and Doi kind of are the same words in different uh, languages, I suppose. Uh, och is a sort of exclamation, a Scottish exclamation. And Oi is a Jewish exclamation. And so, because I'm Scottish and Ari's Jewish, we thought we'd call the show Och and Doi. Okay. So tell me about the show, or tell my listeners about the show. Well, it's sort of built on the idea that even though the two of us may seem very different, Alan is a performer, I'm a journalist, fundamentally, we really have much more in common than you might think. And so we use that as sort of the skeleton on which to build this evening of stories and songs, jokes and entertainment. And um, we have a great time and hopefully the audience does too. Uh, uh, how was the show? Uh, I, I mentioned that I saw you at the cabaret here. How, was, uh, how did the audiences respond? <clears throat> Well, you tell us. You were in the audience. What did you think? Well, I reviewed it, but I wanted to know, did you have people come up to you afterwards, and what did they have to say to you? Were you here for two nights? We had an amazing time in Indiana. Four nights. Yeah, I think we had three or four nights. Okay. And I did not know what to expect. I had never spent time in Indianapolis before, and we absolutely loved it. The audience was so enthusiastic. We had the best time. We visited the art museum. We went to incredible restaurants. We had drinks at great bars. The hotel was phenomenal. I could go to the bottling factory hotel. It was gorgeous. Yeah. 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 Every time. And the audiences are really nice. I love that venue. I've actually played it when it was in the old place. Yeah, I saw Alan. I saw you at the uh, when it was at the Columbia Club. That's what you're referring yeah. to. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. So and, and it's really it was lovely, and actually, really, it's lovely to sort of go somewhere where it's sort of you know a different environment than you're used to, and you go to this place where people are sort of really hungry for to to see you and to see a show like this. And it's great that there's an actually specifically designed cabaret venue. In Indianapolis, it's really lovely. Yeah, I I understand you made some personal connections. You made some friends in Indy while you're there. I think we have some mutual friends, as a matter of fact. So you made an appearance at one of the gay bars in town and caused quite a a scene. Sounds like us. Possibly, yeah, entirely plausible. No, really, people. It was all over Facebook. Oh my God, you know, people were just like very excited. So, so you had a good impression of Indy, right? Great yeah. impression. We really love nice. it. Well, that's yeah, great. 
That's great and because that's what the big Midwest towns that you know are sort of kind of have a have a real history that kind of love the way they've adapted how like like that hotel we stayed in it used to be a bottling factory now it's this really grand hotel but I love the way that people in those times kind of adapt and change and and have a new sort of life to them it's it was really great really yeah. inspiring actually. So, uh, do you do research on different markets or cities before you play them? <clears throat> we like to be surprised. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, did you know that, uh, like, you for, them on the map, you know, things like that. Okay. Where, uh, so, like, like for instance, did you know Indianapolis was a blue city and a red state? You never go. Well, in. generally, most red states have a big city that tends blue. I yeah. mean, as a journalist, I've traveled enough in the United States to have that sense. Yeah. yeah. And if they have a cabaret, chances are you're going to have a, uh, you know, you're going to have a friendly audience, right? <laughs> well, we like to believe that our show appeals to people of every political background yeah. and every stripe. Yeah. This show is about bringing people together and mm -hmm. finding commonality more than it is about insulating ourselves in a bubble of like-mindedness. Well, uh, you know, you, you, you're very open about, about your sexuality, and, and, and I noticed when I was there that you know, people were very open to hearing it, and, you know, you didn't have anybody walk out, and people just seemed to really embrace uh, whatever you had to say. <laughs> so they should. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, it was great. I think... Also, I think if you're coming to see a show with me and Daddy in it, mm -hmm. you are, you know, I think obviously you're going to know us a little bit, presumably. And, uh, but yeah, no, I think we are, because we just are quite frank and we just talk about who we are uh, as performers and people and queer men, uh, we just, I think we don't, we're not asking for approval or uh, acceptance. We're just hope, we're presuming that people will respect us for who we are. Mm -hmm. And I think it works. Our goal is to tell a great story, to entertain the audience, to show people a good time, and to have a good time ourselves. That happens to use our life stories as a vehicle, and those life stories are the experiences of two queer men. But we're not delivering a polemic. We're not coming in to give a TED talk or hit somebody over the head mm. with a with a treatise. Um, mm. The goal is entertainment. So Ari, yeah. how how do your fans, your radio fans, who discover you in the your cabaret act for the first time, how how the, how they received it? You know, I have been singing with a band called Pink Martini for yes. about fifteen years now, and I think because of the Pink Martini history, people are a little less surprised to see me on stage okay. singing and cracking jokes than they might otherwise have been. But inevitably, there are still always a few people who say, you look nothing like what I imagined, or I had no idea that you sang. And so it's always kind of fun to show a different side of myself to, to those people who only know me from NPR. You know, I've seen Pink Martini at least four times and missed you each time. They've been to Indianapolis at the Palladium where you're playing at least twice. We'll have to fix that. Oh, we'll yeah. That. I, I, I would love to have you come and pair with them. You know, Thomas Lauderdale, you probably know, is from Indiana, North Ch Manchester. Yeah. Yeah. And Stormy, is it Storm? Storm. Storm Large. Storm played yeah. the Feinstein's uh, uh, cabaret a couple years yes. ago. And I went, got, I went to see her and chatted with her. She was great. And of course, She's China. Wonderful. I've interviewed she and uh, China, so I'm very familiar mm -hmm. with uh, Pink Martini. When will you be with right. them again? 
I don't know off the top of my head. I just did a New Year's Eve show with them in Los Angeles, and I'm sure I will join up with them again this year, but I couldn't say exactly when and where. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, Alan, I saw, I just read, uh, I got uh, noticed on Facebook that from Broadway.com that you're doing a one-man show in March 11th at the Studio 54 stage. Tell me about it. Well, it's a show, I've just, uh, I have a solo show uh, called, the, the one right now is called Alan Cumming is Not Acting His Age, and I've been touring that for a little bit. I just came back from Britain uh, on Monday, actually. I did a tour in, uh, in Britain, and it's a show that uh, I've, I started it in 2021 uh, in Australia. And I, as again, sort of I do it concurrently with, you know, uh, Ari and I's show and in sort of gaps between uh, my films and stuff. And uh, I really love it. It's actually a nice thing to come back. Again, I love this idea that we have a time away from it and then come back and you kind of tinker with it. And it's about uh, me um, and my sort of borderline obsession with uh, getting older and what is age appropriate and, uh, you know, who gets to decide. And just some stories. So the theme is about getting older, something that we all obviously are doing together. And just my experiences of that. And I talk about, you know, sex, death, dermatologist all the big things that uh, affect us and um yes i'm doing i'm doing a show at, which is funny because I, I talk i tell stories in the show about uh when i was doing cabaret uh, on broadway at studio 54 so now i'm actually bringing a cabaret show to studio 54 so it'll be fun yeah i'm really looking forward to it while cabaret will be playing on broadway again oh really yes, the new cabaret yeah what <laughs> So, uh, uh, obviously, the, the boomer demographic of which I'm a member is huge. Uh, so, uh, but do you, you draw all ages to this particular show or just boomers? 21 and over. I'm sorry? No, we do draw all ages, but there are also some grown-up jokes. So, you sure. know, it's borderline appropriate for, for younger audiences. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the humor that you do. Is there such a thing as gay humor? I mean, I think there is such a thing as gay humor. I, I mean, I don't think what we're doing is gay humor. I think, because in a funny way, I think gay humor is, means that you have to understand a certain code and certain things in order to find it funny. Right. And with this, we are, uh, I mean, I guess in a funny way, we, which, I mean, if we do anything like that, we sort of explain it. Sure. Um, yeah. Sure. And I think also, you know, I think in a funny way, mainstream, in the in gayness and gay sort of language is much more in the mainstream now. We do do a joke. Yeah. The first joke of all night is quite a a racy thing to kind of, you know, set the stage. Well, you know, uh, they say that Will and Grace opened the door for for audiences to become more accepting and it really affected a lot of social change suddenly, but then, you know, and, and they sort of introduced America, perhaps, to gay humor and uh, campiness. Was there's You know, remember the word camp? Uh, Susan Sontag's Notes on Camp, a great uh, piece of writing. When I think of gay humor, I think of Noel Coward, Oscar Wilde, the sort of rapier wit, language-based, double entendre, blinking you'll miss it, um, that I think grew out of a level of oppression that today is just different. Mm -hmm. And um, there, I'm sure, is still gay humor, but it has evolved and become so diffuse 
and been so reinterpreted and remixed through TikTok, Instagram, et cetera, that it's hard for me to put my finger on exactly what defines it today. Mm -hmm. and, and of course, as you probably know, uh, marginalized people have always used humor as a tool for survival. Gay people, uh, Black people. I mean, Jewish humor too. You could talk yes, about of the course. Belt, et cetera. Yeah. Well, you know what they say about show business. It would be show business if there weren't for us, and you know, whatever. I'm Latino, so I don't know that we have a particular niche, but you know, we don't take things seriously in some ways. But uh, so uh, the show was created in 2019. Who who had the idea? How was it created? What was the genesis? It was, um, well, really, it was because we uh, were becoming friends and there was a few things we did where these sort of evenings. One was about a book that I had out and Addy was, it was an evening with Addy and I and he was talking to me about my book. And then there was another thing we did about the museum, this museum in, in Washington, D.C. about news. And uh, it was a thing about the, um, the 50th anniversary of Stonewall. And um, we did sort of two evenings together where it was basically us just chatting and shooting the breeze. And I um, really enjoyed our uh, rap repartee. And I often when you get interviewed by people, you, you know, when you're well known, it's, it's kind of very softball kind of questions and a bit fluffy and it's not very challenging. And I really liked the way Ari challenged me. And also he's very witty and, you know, he is, it's, I just was, I was pleasantly surprised to come across someone that was in interviewing me in that way that actually I, kind of gelled with and had a sort of nice dynamic with. And so I, so I sort of suggested as we were walking off the stage after the second one, the museum one, that we should do a show together because we had a good, uh, you know, repartee and uh, banter. And that was basically it. And Ari sort of said, you know, don't say it if you don't mean it. <laughs> and so... Um, he meant it. I meant it. Here we are. <laughs> and then we just sort of made it up uh, in a couple of weekends. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, it's been hey, hey. really nice to just sort of... Uh, let something kind of blossom in an organic way that sort of wasn't really pre, pre too pre-planned. We just sort of just grabbed the moment and did it. Those are always the best ways. And had you seen him perform in Pete Martini, so you knew he could sing as well, right? <laughs> I knew he could sing because uh, I, I don't think I had seen him in Pete Martini then, but I, I did a solo show at the, at the um, Joe's Pub in Mm -hmm. And uh, I had booked tickets to go and see it with my husband, and then he asked me to sing a song with him. And mm -hmm. so we did. I did. I sang the Scottish song called "Flower of Scotland," which indeed we sing in Ochanoy. So uh, that was the first time we actually ever performed. Was when I went to see Ari and I got up off mm -hmm. out of my chair and sang a song with him. Ari, how did you guys meet? Actually, what were the circumstances? Well, one of my best friends from college, Ben Eakley, was in Cabaret the second time that Alan did it on Broadway. He was one of the boys in the Kit Kat Club. Mm -hmm. And so I was living in London at the time, but I was back in New York visiting uh, friends and went to see Ben in Cabaret. And he invited me backstage after the show to go up and meet Alan in the original club coming, Alan's dressing room. And so I went up there, we met, we said hello, we had a drink, and then Alan dashed off to Scotland to campaign for independence. And yes. had, had you listened to Ari and All Things Considered or NPR before that? Alan? Oh, yes. Yeah? Yes, I'm, and, I'm and, NPR. What did you think of his work? I, uh, you mean his work on, on All Things Considered? Yeah. I'm a huge fan. I mean, I think I... <laughs> 
saw or heard someone who was asking the kind of questions I would like to ask. And I felt like, uh, you know, taking people to task in an environment, in a sort of news and media environment where people were um, not challenged in the way that I would like them to be challenged. So I, I've said to Eddie before, I really admire the fact that he's there doing that work and kind of daring to be, you know, a little bullshit and a little asking the questions that they don't want to hear. And I and, and also I love the fact that, you know, he could be talking to a politician the next one, talking to a pop star or a novelist or something. The, the range of of that. It just made me think he's a really fascinating person and, and, and as indeed he is. He has a great range of interests and, and you know, a huge intellect and a great wit. And uh, yeah, he's got it all. Mm-hmm. He's got the whole package. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I'm blushing, Alan. <laughs> so, uh, so, so Ari, uh, they say most journalists become journalists because they're, and you both, uh, by the way, you both are consummate storytellers. And, uh, but as a journalist, that comes with the territory. Are you not just simply curious? Have oh, you, absolutely. Have you I'm always really, been curious? curious about people? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that I have a job where I get to meet strangers and ask them nosy questions. Mm-hmm. It's great. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. so funny, I've just been doing today, um, doing the voiceover. I've been in the studio all day doing the voiceover for this show I did for the Discovery Channel called... Um, Alan Cummings' Paradise Homes, and there's a bit in it in the, in the opening titles where I say, and you know, I get to go around and talk to these people who've built, made their paradise homes. I'm also really, really nosy. And, <laughs> and I say, and you see me going, I can't believe I get to just snip around people's houses. And it's the same thing. I just get, I love that I just get to go around the world and just talk to people. And then, and then you know, they go away and I look in their cupboards. Totally. It's so fun. Well, and you you have a career where you get to make documentaries and do voiceovers and do scripted programs and do um, podcasts. And the range of things you get to do, I think, is the performer's equivalent of hosting All Things Considered. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, there are people in my journalism world who are a White House correspondent and they cover the White House and that's what they do. Mm -hmm. But the kind of job I have is so much more wide ranging. And similarly, there are people who are Shakespearean actors and that's all they do. But you have such an enormous range that, yet again, I think our lives parallel each other in these sort of not obvious ways, but that that are deep. So, Ari, broadcasters, they they don't admit it or own it, but, you know, I I started my career in TV and I'm still involved in it, but I I see that it's actually performing. It's a form of performing. Do you agree? Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't shy away from that a bit. Um, Mm -hmm. If you are tuning out of the story that I'm telling, it doesn't matter how compelling and interesting and important the story might be, I've not succeeded at my job. So, yeah, I have to have the facts right, and I have to report what's important, but I also have to do it in a way that people want to listen to it, and there's an element of performance in that. Mm -hmm. So are you looking forward to the uh, coming year in politics? Is that going to be a big part of your job, covering the the presidential race, or one of many things you're going to continue to do? Both and. I mean, it's going to be the dominant story of the year ahead. And I've fortunately covered a lot of presidential races and political campaigns. So I have a sense of how to approach them. But I'm always curious what's going to make this one different, whether that's the map or the voters or the candidates. And in this case, it looks like the candidates are going to be the same. But I think the election itself might be very different from any that we've seen before. So Mm -hmm. I'm 
kind of digging into how do we tell those stories in an engaging way and what are the stories that are going to be the most important for us to tell. Mm -hmm. And I know that you've also been to a lot of war zones during your career and the most recent ones, the Ukraine and Israel. Uh, how does it how, how do you stay are you able to stay detached when you're covering those stories especially the ones with the children involved well detached is not the word that I would use I mean I think I do get very invested in the stories but ultimately I'm not a participant in the stories this is something that I go into great detail about in my book the best strangers in the world which is about the experience of covering so many of the big stories that people have heard me talk about on the air, but I go more deeply into my own personal perspective and experience of what it's like covering them. And I think if you leave your humanity at the door, you're doing it wrong, but you also have to appreciate that you are not a part of the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alan, uh, uh, a reader, and I will mention her name, I want to give her a shout out. Michelle Blades Noel wants to know how fans can bring back the third season of Schmigadoon. Is it, oh, is, it in, well, is it in purgatory or being held captive? What's going on? I'm not familiar with the going on behind it, but is there what's going on? Well, it just got cancelled, so I don't know quite Oh, no. no. They got, yeah, it, um, last week, this past week, actually, <laughs> it was a bit of a bad day. We had to put one of our dogs to sleep, and Schmigadoon was cancelled in the same day. I was like, bring it on. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the Apple, I mean, it's funny, like, last year... Uh, we were all set to do it, to do the third one. It's written and everything. And then the strike happened, of course. And then now, I don't know why. I was in London, I was in India, and then I was in London. And um, they had a reading, I had a table read of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I couldn't go. And then the next thing I heard was that it actually wasn't going ahead. So no, I think, I think that's it. I think it's, it's too, unless, I mean, I guess it's not inconceivable that some other network or streaming service might take it over but uh, you know it's, I think it's an expensive show to make and I uh, I don't know I actually don't know the reason I'm hoping to get more juice on it soon I, but uh, I can only ima- I can only imagine how much fun it was for all of these musical theater performers to do satire on the very way they make their living <laughs> yeah it was really lovely and it was because it also you know it's the same bunch both seasons it's an anthology thing so it's the same actors mostly and I really liked what I really liked about it was it was sort of a homage and a, and a parody at the same time, which is a really difficult thing to do to put off. But I think Cinco, the man who wrote it, is so genius and clever and right. absolutely endures the musical form. And you know, I, I um, for me it was hilarious because in the first one, which is sort of based on the uh, you know sort of American musicals of the fifties and sixties, I wasn't really very au fait with them, and I. I Sometimes I wasn't quite sure which musical we were parodying. Well, you know, it's kind of a wet dream for theater queens. I mean, you know, the way they parodied the musical scores was talk about clever, brilliant. I mean, I couldn't wrap my arms. I mean, yeah. Cinco is really a genius, and I and and it was his sort of pet project, and he just adored it. And I, I just, yeah, I mean, it was really, it was such a so well done, and. And also all those people that you know we worked, I worked with. It was just they were just great, and all just a bunch of old muckers, and really lovely to sort of the first, especially the first time because it was in when we were still sort of in lockdown. So we went to Canada, and we were in a sort of a bubble, and you know we all we were all different colours. We were the red people, 
and only other red people could, could talk to us in the studio and we had to leave the studio before the yellow people could come in and then the yellow people could like it was like it was just bonkers yeah and bizarrely none of us got covid um <laughs> So that was good, but it was just this, you know, we were, it was like, because we had to, normally on a film, or on the second season of Schmigadoon, you know, if we had gaps, we would go home and then come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, because of the quarantine restrictions and everything mm-hmm. in the first uh, season, we didn't, we all stayed mm-hmm. for the entire duration. So it was like being in this weird sort of little theatre camp mm-hmm. bubble mm-hmm. with a bunch of have you uh, seen Have you seen the the uh, streaming show uh, Theater Camp? You guys, have you checked it out? A, a small film. Uh, what's his name? The Broadway singer oh, Ben Platt is in it. Yeah, Theater not, Theater I Camp. I watched it. I watched it on an airplane. Oh, did you? What did you think of it? Clearly made with so much love for the theater kids that so many of us were. Uh, were you a theater kid? Sure. Tell yeah. me about it. Would you? I mean, did you go to camps? I was a counselor at Idlewild Arts Camp in Southern California. Oh wow! Yeah. And what was that like? <laughs> I think the counselors had more fun than the campers. <laughs> <laughs> And, and Ari, did you do anything like that when you were a kid? Did you put on shows in your backyard? Did they do that in Britain like we do here? Do you mean Alan? Or Sorry, Scotland, Scotland, or Scotland. In Scotland. Um, I mean, I sort of did kind of put shows on in my backyard, but I was I was I lived in the middle of nowhere in a country estate. It was only me, so I kind of just did them on my own, which is sort of probably, you know, actually explains a lot, I suppose. But uh, mm. yes, no, I wasn't really, um, I'm not... I've come at, um, I mean, we always joke, um, Ari and Henry, our musical director, mm-hmm. and I, when we go, when we go out on the road, uh, you know, they'll be kind of geeking out about some musical, and I, I have no clue what they're talking about. I'm like a sort of uh, Luddite, a musical Luddite, and I, I think it's funny when you've done a couple of musicals, people sort of assume that you're, you know, like the, the, an excite, have encyclopedic knowledge of them, and I don't, so I sort of came to it quite late and I just I don't know I'm not quite I don't think I'm as I don't think I get sort of fervent about things as much uh, as people do in terms of musicals I like some I'm not crazy about a lot mm-hmm. but you know I, lo- I love when it all works I get it and um, well you I don't do you don't fit the stereotype do you <laughs> no that all gay men love me. musicals we live for musicals so I know, I'm not that, but, you know, I'll, I'll sing a song every now and then. Well, speaking of cabaret, I did see you at the Kit Kat Club in 1998, and I shall never forget that experience of being in that room. And, uh, and you know, Natasha Richardson, I'm looking at my poster. I have a, on my wall a uh, signed poster, you. you and Natasha. What was she like working she with? Lovely. I mean, it was that, that, was, that really was a magical time because it was sort of... Um, it was, you know, the show and that production became this big sort of juggernaut. And then it moved to Studio 54, and then, you know, and then I did it again 16 years later and everything. So it, it had this much bigger kind of big Broadway life. But at the beginning, it just felt like... I mean, I actually joke about the fact that I, I, I was making a film in Prague right before I did it. And someone said to me, what are you doing next? And I went, oh, this, oh, I did the show that I did in London a couple of years ago. It's transferring to New York and I'm going to do it there. And that's what I felt like. And, and it just felt like I was doing a show, that, you know, in a new place that I'd already done. And 
then I came to New York and you know I, I hadn't met Natasha until we started and I was so green about the whole Broadway I mean I didn't realize it was going to be such a big thing I saw a big you know that poster with my eyes uh, as I was driving in from the airport and like what you know, I felt like I was so, so out of my depth and she was really lovely she was so sort of kind of kept me straight on in terms of the Broadway etiquette and what mm -hmm. to do and what happens and everything how did her um, how did her death affect you well it was I was shocked and saddened and um, just it was awful I mean what a terrible terrible thing to happen and I remember when I found out, actually, I was shooting a, a documentary about Scottish humour, bizarrely, up some glen in Scotland, and, and um, John Benjamin Hickey, who played Cliff in that original production, who was a great friend of Tasha's, he called me to tell me, and I was just, I mean, I remember just in the middle, and they were doing a sort of a reenactment of some Scottish battle <laughs> and uh, behind me, and I was just hearing <coughs> Tasha's So it was just this surreal moment, and... Um, just crazy, you know, and I, it's funny, I just did a film a couple of years ago with Liam, it came out last year, and it was really nice, we shot it in um, Barcelona, and I hadn't seen him for a long, long time, but I, you know, I mostly knew Liam that summer when we were doing Cabaret first, because he was doing a play by Oscar Wilde at the same time on Broadway, mm. so he, we sort of hang out a bit and go to parties and things, and so it was really nice, actually, in Barcelona when we were shooting this Marlowe film, it was really lovely to just spend time talking about her with him mm -hmm. and uh, you know it's that time had gone past it wasn't painful for him and it was just sort of we just sort of reminisced and I don't know I just it's sort of just one of these things you can't believe it's happened and it's yeah. so unfair and so bizarre yeah. and freakish but you know I guess it just makes you seize the day and think that any that could happen to any of us any 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 second mm -hmm. so, so we've got to just uh, you know seize the day and love life and Get on with it. So, Ari, did you see uh, uh, which production of Cabaret did you see, or both of them? Uh, only the second one. Uh huh. He wasn't born in the first one. Yeah, yeah. Well, you were what? Still in junior high, grade school back then. What year was it? <laughs> Nineteen ninety-eight. Come on, Yeah, I was in college. Right. I was in college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that's not well so you bad. went to Yale, didn't you? Go up to New York a lot to see shows. I did. My first Broadway show was Sarah Jessica Parker in Once Upon a Mattress. Oh, wow. Oh, you know what, Ari? I've just been listening. Uh, I'm listening to um, Christine Baranski read Mary Rogers' memoirs on my on my Audible uh, thing, mm -hmm. and it's so fantastic. And I've heard it's great. I've heard it's really, really great. It's so nice. Yeah. And also, what, what a joy Christine Baranski is. Yeah, fact. I bet. To hear her reading a sort of wise-cracking old broads memoirs is just yeah. that when i wrote to her i was when i was in um, india i wrote to her and said i'm writing to you from this indian train and every time i do my exercises i put you in my ears and you're and she's wrote back and said you're the only person who would write to me from an indian train <laughs> <laughs> see see you guys this is the kind of conversation you have that, that you have on stage how much of your how much of it's scripted and how much of it is improv or is it a combination of both your show all of it was once uh, improv but it's now all pretty much the same from one performance to the next yeah, yeah. so I tell me a little ramble but it's sort of you know the show's quite tight we've got to get you know we find it it's actually got a really good speed yeah. to it so we kind of go off on a tangent it's kind of uh, usually not so great so how do you how do you keep that cabaret kind of you know cabaret is you know intimate 
very close connection with the audience because you're right there up in front. How does it feel? What's the difference between uh, performing in those spaces as opposed to like the Palladium, which is a thousand six hundred seat theater? How do you? Alan has a very good answer to this question. <laughs> well, I believe. Thank you, Larry. I believe that it's not about the size of the venue that makes something intimate. I think you can play in a stadium and still you can make everyone feel like you are looking into their eyes and you're just talking to them. I just played on Saturday night to 3,000 people in Glasgow and oh it felt very, very intimate. I think it's about the way the, the, the way you, the sort of mood you create, the intimacy and the vulnerability, that's a huge part, but the vulnerability you're prepared to invoke and you just have to sort of make people think that you're that you're looking into their eyes at all times it's about taking in the audience and, and sort of thinking them thinking of them as just some other people in the room with you and that can mm-hmm. be three thousand people or it can be 90. have have, um, e- have either of you played the palladium by the way here in, in no, I, played it. I played it with my show um I think it was either Legal Immigrant or Alan Cummings sings Happy Songs, one of my last... You okay, know, you, know that, you know that Michael Feinstein is the artistic director there. Do you both know Michael? Yes, yeah. Yes, yeah. very well. And, he, um, and doesn't he have a museum, a sort of uh, a, a museum of... Um, the American Songbook. American Songbook. Yeah, and do you know that soon they're going to announce where they're going to put the physical Hall of Fame? There will be a Hall of Fame in Central Indiana yes. somewhere. You know about that? Yeah. And do you know that he's been amassing? A Hall of Fame for what? For the Great American Songbook. Michael has been amassing a collection of, you know, uh, tapes and scores and even even people's pianos and, you know, Ella Fitzgerald's gowns and so on and so forth. Isn't that all in the place in, in Indiana? Yeah, it's going it, to, they haven't announced where it's going to be. You know, people are hoping that it'll stay in Carmel area, but Indy's interested, but it will definitely be a tourist attraction. You know, they're partnering with the Grammys on the, on oh, uh, the, the, the foundation. So anyway, uh, you know, typically people who are booked at the Palladium, most of them know, know Michael because, as you know, a lot, of, a lot of his fans are entertainers, actually, right? <laughs> so, yeah. hey, before I get he's, away... He's, I, love his, I love his sort of... the way that he's so studious and so rigorous about keeping the memory and all the information and all the kind of stuff from all those people alive and, and available to everybody. It's really admirable. You know, he would make a great he would make a great college professor because he's got a photographic memory. And when he does his shows, yeah. he always goes into depth about the composers and where the song was written and this and that and the other. Ari, before we get away, I want to ask you a question. I you know, you accompany in my car all the time, you know, and have ever since you you went on the air. And, I'm uh, riding with you, Tom. <laughs> in any case, I'd like to know, uh, you know, what are some, what are some of the favorite all your all time favorite stories that you covered or have covered? I have the entire last chapter of my book is all about trying to choose favorite stories okay. and the impossibility of doing so. Okay. Because the nature of hosting All Things Considered is that every day 
I'm meeting somebody new, and I'm thinking about questions I haven't asked before, and I'm exploring problems that are different from the problems I explored yesterday. And so I try to constantly be looking forward. I try to constantly be excited about something I just did and something that I'm about to do. And of course, I could list dozens and dozens and dozens of stories that I've loved, but I've never been able to choose a favorite. And that's the short answer to to why. Well, I've got to and read the longer answer. You can read the book. Yeah, I I, <laughs> I, I need to read the book. When was it published? Uh, March of twenty twenty three. Okay. Okay. And so it's still fairly new. Uh, where is yeah. it available? Wherever all good books are sold, it is called The Best Strangers mm -hmm. in the World. And Daddy will probably have signed it as and, well. And so, Ari, I, when is your next book? I mean, how I you just released it? one. What are you talking about? I just came out with one. Don't <laughs> no, I get a no, I mean, breath before I, the next I, one? I, I mean, Ari, you've, are, you've written two, two memoirs. You mean Alan. Yeah. You mean Alan. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, my I'm goodness. I'm embarrassed. I think we're about to get cut off the Zoom. Yeah. Oh, no, that's the I have a new, I don't have a book lined up, but I want to write a novel next, another novel. Do, you, another. do you enjoy writing, uh, Ari? I do. Yeah. Do you enjoy as well? I do. Yeah, no, I do. Like, I just wish I had more time to do it, so I guess I've got to make that happen for me. That's my New Year's resolution. Okay, well, uh, uh, we're going to run out of time here, so let's wrap this up. Why should people come and see Considered Cabaret? Ach and oi, because mm -hmm. it, if they enter with the winter blahs, they will leave feeling uplifted with a spring in their step. Okay. And they'll, have a, they'll laugh, they'll cry, they'll learn some funny, dirty words. Thank you for listening to my interview with Alan Cumming and Ari Shapiro. For tickets and information about Ock and Oi, a considered cabaret at the Palladium and Carmel, visit thecenterpresents.org. Who will take center stage on the podcast next? Your seat on the aisle with Tom Alvarez awaits. Follow Tom on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And make sure to visit tomalvarez.studio. Watch Tom every other Thursday on Lifestyle Live on Wish TV. And make sure to listen every week here on the All Indiana Podcast Network.